this morning, uh, <clears throat> I'm very excited to be here um, preaching this message. Scott is out of town. Um, he's on vacation, um, spending some time with his family. Um, as you know, he's up in Virginia. That's where he's from. Um, and so they spend part of the week with Meredith's family and then part of the week with his family. So they're on a massive Christmas road trip. Um, and Eric, if I'm not mistaken, is in San Francisco. Fancy. Um, so they're away traveling, spending some much-needed time with family, so be praying for them as they travel. Also, just uh, uh, two more little uh, announcements that I, I just want to make you aware of, because I, I feel like as a congregation, um, one of the best things we can do for our members is to be praying for them. Um, this week, um, as most of you guys were celebrating and spending time with family and, and having a good time, uh, I actually um, had the unfortunate um, opportunity to to spend time at two different funerals. Um, and then I found out this morning that David Newman has a, a family member that has, has passed away. And he's also got a, a friend that's really struggling with, uh, with some suicide, depression, thoughts, and, and is trying, has, has been put on medicine, and, and there's, a, there's trying to get help and, and, um, but to be praying for them. And, I, and I, as I thought about this time of year, especially you know, just in the weeks of, of prep and then come into this week. And, and Loretta Williams' um, father passed away as well. Um, it was one of the funerals I, I, I went to. And, um, and I feel like we need to be praying for our, our congregation, our, our family members, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and so we're going to do that here in just a few minutes. But I, I was preparing for this message. And, um, and then we went through all we went through this week and I talked to David this morning. And it, it seems like this year <clears throat> there are many more hardships that happened around Christmas. Um, I was going to get some food at Chick-fil-A, and I, I, I witnessed a, a wreck um, where a motorcycle um, was involved, and it, it didn't look pretty as well. And so just there's been a lot of heaviness in the air over this past month. And, and, and I'd been studying it for, for a couple weeks, and, and it just kept hitting me over and over again that this message was a timely message. Because... I feel like there's a lot of people who 2019 may not have been an easy year for you. It may have been a hard year going through some different stuff, maybe some work stuff, maybe some home life stuff. You know, there, there's so many burdens and so many hardships that walk in this door day in and day out. And right now, I mean, look around you. We're, we're, we're missing several people due to sickness and, and due to other circumstances with traveling. There's, there's just a lot going on. And we walk in these doors sometimes and we pretend that everything's fine. You know, that's what church culture teaches us. When you walk in the door, you put your, your nice clothes on, you comb your hair, unless you're me and you let it run wild. Um, you put your best foot forward, and you, you tell everybody, it's, 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 the, it's the common thing. You shake somebody's hand, man, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing fine. Fine is the biggest lie in the world, especially at church, because 90% of you aren't fine. You know, if you really were to take an honest poll, you come in bringing hardships, you come in bringing past hurts, you come in bringing just the weight of the world on you. And I think a lot of times we, we, we try to or treat church like a museum for polished people when really it should be a hospital for the sick. And so this message just went so perfectly with what I feel is, is going on in the world and what's going on around it, and in my personal world. Um, it's also one of my life verses. Um, we're going to look at a, a scripture from Luke, um, chapter 22 this morning. It's, it's a verse that I have I've personally 
used is, is something to keep me motivated. As many of you know, as I, you know I, I battle depression and anxiety um, most days. <coughs> and I deal with shame from my past. You know, I've, I've not always been the churchgoer and the, the good kid and the, and, and the guy that had his life on the straight and narrow. You know, um, I was laughing with, with somebody yesterday and we were talking about how our, our old lives used to be a little bit more, we, we fall a little bit more broad of a way. I said, man, my way used to be like a five-lane highway. You know, that's, that's the path that I, I went down. And so there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of guilt that, that comes with, with my life and my calling because Satan is a liar and he's a punk, as my, my buddy Josh Sprouse used to always say. And he tells you these things, he whispers in your ear, says you're not good enough or you've gone through too much or it's too hard or, or, or look at your circumstances. And, and this verse shuts him up. The verse we're going to look at this morning quiets the whispers of Satan. And so I believe as we, we approach the end of 2019, we, we're, you know, New Year's is just a few, years, a few days away. And not only is it the, the end of a, a year, but it's also the end of a decade. You know, we start 2020 on Wednesday. And so it's, I, I just, I, I wanted so desperately for us as a congregation, my prayer for us as a congregation is to walk into this new year, this new decade, a free people. Free of Satan's torments, free of Satan's lies, free of the shame and the weight that so often we carry, or the sadness that we bear, the burdens that we bear. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to pray, and then, and then we're, we're going to dive right into Luke chapter 22. Father, I know for certain <coughs> that there are hurts in this room. God, in this year alone, I've, I've, I've got to experience with just a few people what it, what it looks like to finally stop listening to Satan's lies and to start realizing that, that we are not tainted goods. And I've seen the freedom come across these people's face, and I've, I've seen joy erupt from their hearts. People that have lived in that bondage for years, and they've, they've finally realized that that you are not a mean kid with a magnifying glass torturing us for the past mistakes, but you are a loving Father longing for us to realize how much you love us. God, so I pray that that will be the case this morning. God, that the ones in this room that have not felt your love, have not felt your touch, have not felt your comfort in many years or, or just in a season of their life, God, I pray that you would come down and you would wrap them up this morning. God, that you would give them an assurance, that you would give them a peace, that you would give them just a comfort that only you can provide. That they would realize that their past does not define them, but that their future is all that matters. God, I pray that they would realize that your grace and your mercy and your death on the cross was more than enough to pay for anything. And I pray also that, that they would realize that at the moment that they were saved, the moment that they gave their life to you, the moment they realized that they were a sinner in great need of a Savior, that you paid for sins past, present, and future. So the stuff that they feel so shameful about is stuff that you saw before they were ever saved, before they were ever yours. And you saved them anyways. You saved them anyways. God, I pray desperately that you would show them that. That they would feel that this morning. God, and that the words that come out of my mouth would not be my own, but they would be yours. God, because if, if it's in my words, then they will, 
never accomplish your work. God, but if they're yours, this room, this community, this family can leave this church differently than the way they entered into it. So Father, just be with us this morning. Be with the ones that are away. Be with the the families that have lost loved ones so close to this time of of celebration. God, be with the ones that are struggling with with suicidal thoughts and, and, and tendencies that desperately, desperately, desperately need your touch that need your assurance, that need your hope to let them know that this life is worth carrying on. God, so I I pray for them. I pray for David as he he works in those situations. I pray for for Loretta and her family, for Greg and for Philip and for Elizabeth as they, they mourn the loss and for the losses that are felt all throughout this church that I don't know anything about. God, I pray desperately that you would just reach in and just comfort there. So Father, move, speak. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, and we're going, to, we're going to be in verses 31 and 32. But I want to give a little bit of, of, of context, a little bit of backstory before we just jump right into it because it's a big deal. Um, we're in the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. He's he started, he's been baptized, he's, he's done a few miracles, he's called his disciples, and, and he's trained these men up, these 12 men, to where once he's gone, they can carry on the mission without him, with the help of the Holy Spirit. He's leaving soon. He's, 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 he's about to go to the cross. This is really, really close. And he, he's kind of finished his work. We see um, in the high priestly prayer where Jesus says, God, I thank you for letting me accomplish. It says it's finished. His work is finished. And that work is making the disciples. Creating in them a, a heart and a love for God's word, and for them to know God's word, and for them to be able to take that word to the rest of the world, so that they can proclaim the Savior. So he's accomplished that, and he, he's coming to the the end of his life, and he wants to have the Passover meal with his disciples. He wants to have that last meal, and so he sends some people ahead of him, and he says, "It's a cool little story." Jesus is always doing little cool small stuff, and those are my favorite things. He says, "Walk into the city, and you're going to find a guy." with some water, and he's going to let you use his upper room. He just like sees these things. It's just like the, with, the, with the donkey um, when he goes to ride into um, the city. It's just, he, these little miracles are always awesome to me. It just shows more and more that, that Jesus can see the future. He's always present, even, even past, present, and future. He's always there. He knows. And so just little things like that are awesome. And so they, the apostles go, and they prepare this place, and they, they come to the Last Supper where Jesus tells them that, He's going to die, and he breaks the bread, and he gives them the, the wine. He says, do this, and remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember what I'm going to do. And they still didn't understand. Um, <coughs> and so they have this moment, this, this beautiful moment that we look to now, and, and we have communion from, and it's just this beautiful moment with his, his 12, his friends. He calls them his friends in, in, in another book where they've gotten super, super close. And then he announces that one of them will betray him. He's talking about Judas. And so then they get in an argument about who it is that betrayed him. You know, I could see them around the, the table. And then I spent a lot of time with kids. And, like, I grew up with a, a little sister and an older brother. And anytime we got accused of something, it was immediately, well, I'm not going to do it. It was, I bet it was him. I bet it was her. She's always doing stuff like this. You know, little things like that. So I can see them kind of picking on each other and, and trying to figure out which one. It was never going to be one of them. While Judas, in the back of his head, is already thinking, it's me. 
to me. I've already sold him out. I've already done what I'm going to do. I know that this is what's happening. And it's so funny to me that they go from that to they're arguing about who's going to betray Jesus. And then right after that, like the next breath, they begin to argue about who's the greatest. So that fight, that little argument must have like erupted into this whole thing. And then Jesus has to calm the situation back down and he assures them that the one that is the greatest is the one that serves. The one that's serving, the, the, the one that is the one to serve just as he serves. And then right after that is where we, we get our verses for today. After they've argued about who's the greatest, Jesus looks at Peter, who is in this verse called Simon. That was his, his name before it was changed to Peter. <coughs> um, he looks at him. And he says these words in verse 31. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. It's a powerful, powerful set of verses. We see him, we see him look at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon. And what that is when he, when he repeats that name, that's a term that's to show his endearment to Peter. He loved him. He loved him deeply. It's almost like a father taking his son and, and kind of sitting him down and said, look, man, I love you, but we need to talk for just a second. I need to have a one-on-one intimate conversation with you, my son, because something's about to happen. He says, Simon, Simon, he's pleading with him. He's, he's, he's showing him how much he loves him. There's a tenderness to this. There's a sweetness to this. It's not aggression. This is not anger. This is, this is tenderness towards Simon. He looks at Simon, and I'm sure Simon looks back, and he, he says, behold, I really need you to listen to me. I need you to pay close attention because what I'm about to tell you is so important that it's, it's, it's going to shape the rest of eternity. This is huge. This is massive. This is important. Behold, listen. I need your whole focus. Don't worry about the guys around the table. Don't worry about anything else that's, that's going on. I need you to be focused on me. He says, behold. And he says, Satan has demanded to have you. And the interesting thing about, I mean, there's several interesting things about that. But when it says Satan demanded to have you, that you there in the original language is not singular. It's plural. And so we read it and we we miss it a little bit. But what Jesus is saying is, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you all. All 12 of you. And we see demanded, that's past tense. This has already happened. Satan's demanded to have you, and, it, and it, it, it throws us back to Job. It makes us think of Job, where, where, where Satan comes before God. And, and, and here's the thing, Satan still has the right to do that. That won't end until Jesus comes back and puts him permanently where he belongs. And so Satan is still continuously doing this. And, and in that moment, Satan comes to Jesus or to God before the throne and says, this is what I want to do, just like he did with Job. And, and Job... Um, Satan it comes before the throne and he's been kind of wandering back and forth because Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at all times. So he wanders back and forth. He walks around. He has to travel by himself. He can't, he's not God. He doesn't have those same attributes. And so it says that he was walking back and forth and he comes up to God. God said, has you, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And then they kind of get into a conversation where he says, the only reason that Job serves you as well as he does is because he has all this stuff. Because he has all this money, he has a big family, he has nice surroundings. And Satan said, 
let me have him. And we'll see what your servant is really about. Let me have him and, and we'll see what happens. And so when you look through Job, uh, Job's family gets taken away, like one by one by one by one. It's, it's this big whole catastrophe um, and he still praises God. And then um, Satan says, you know what, well, we took a bunch of stuff away from him, but, but let's hurt him. Let's, let's do some stuff to him and God allows it. And so he has these nasty boils and it says he scrapes them with a broken piece of pottery, which is just gross to me. Like, I, I can't imagine that. That's just a, we use the word icky. Um, and, and he still, he goes on through that entire book and, and Job never fails in his faith. And so it's, it's very similar to this that Satan has looked at these 12 apostles and, and has, has made similar accusations. I'm sure he said something along the lines of, they only serve you well because you're there. You know, it's that, that thought that I'm a big bad person if I've got, you know, Blake and Gino behind me to back me up. You know, I, I can be tough if I've got my, my crew of guys around me, but as soon as they walk away, well, I don't really like to fight. You know, I, w- I was just joking. I, I'm not serious. There's that kind of mentality that, that Satan's saying they're only big and bad now. They're only able to do all these things now because they've got Jesus with them. So I don't think they actually have what it takes to follow through with this. Satan's biggest job is, is what he's called as the accuser. He wants to accuse you and tell you that you're not actually as, as good or as far along as you are. He wants to throw lies and, and, and deceive you into thinking that you are trash. And that's what he wanted to do to the apostles. And so Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, Satan has demanded to have you. You guys, all 12 of you. He's demanded to have you. And that's what Satan was about to do to all of them. He was, gonna, he was wanting to sift them as wheat. So we get this picture that Jesus has allowed this. God has allowed this to happen in the lives of the apostles. He didn't, he didn't stop it. He didn't try to save them from the, the trial that was about to happen to them. He allowed it to happen. Just like God allowed that to happen to Job. And it says, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And this is one of my favorite analogies. Because I grew up on a farm. Not like literally on the farm, but my grandpa had one and I walked to his house every day. And so I spent a lot of time around tomatoes and cucumbers. And I, he, he would take me in the garden and he would teach me these little things about life. But he'd always relate them back to some sort of plant. Some of them were good. Some of them were not so good. Um, my grandpa's a little bit of an interesting man. Um, but I love this analogy because when you look at what sifting wheat really looked like, it has so much application to this process, what, what, what Satan's about to do to the, the, the disciples. What, what sifting wheat was is you, you gathered the grain, you gathered the wheat, and then you would take it and you would beat it. I, I watched some videos of it. It was really cool. They take these big sticks and they whack it a whole bunch of times to kind of break it up. And then they put it in these big bowls. And they take it and they throw it up in the air and the husk of the wheat, the stuff that's on the outside, because it's lighter and it's been ground into like a finer dust, as they throw it up, that part floats away into the wind. And what you're left with is, with is the grain from the wheat. And so the whole purpose of this process is to rip the cover, the outer shell of the wheat away to reveal what's on the inside. And so when Jesus tells Peter that Satan is about to sift them as, as wheat, what he's saying is, is Satan is going to come after you guys with everything he's got. And the whole purpose is to bust up your outer shell. 
to bust up this, this persona that you have on top of you, to, to really get to the heart of who you are to see if there's anything inside of you worth anything. Because grain that didn't, or wheat that didn't have any grain that was tossed to the side, it was useless, it was pointless, and it was burned up. They're blown away in the wind. It's exactly what Satan wanted to do because he wanted to prove that these apostles were worth nothing. And he got one of them. You know, we, we, we see Judas as, as one that he sifted his wheat and he failed because he wasn't truly one of Christ's followers. There was nothing inside of him. There was no grain inside of his heart to actually be there to, to be any, of any substance. And so he failed and eventually kills himself out of the shame and guilt of, of doing what he did to Christ, but he never repents. He never actually comes back to Christ. There's, there's no repentance in his heart. There's just shame, and, and he's lost. But that's, that's what Satan wants to do to the apostles, and that's what he does. But look at what Jesus does. He tells Peter, look, this is what's coming at you. It's going to be rough. It's going to be bad. Verse 32, it says, but I've prayed for you. And this time the you is not plural, it's singular. So the, the first time is Satan has asked for you guys. But then Jesus gets intimate with Peter and says, but I have prayed for you. Peter, I have prayed for you specifically. I've prayed that your faith would not fail. I've prayed that you would be able to withstand what's coming. You see, Peter was the leader of this group. He's kind of like the captain. We see that Jesus had his 12, and then he had his inner three. But you see Peter kind of being the, the, the leader that emerges out of the 12. He's with Jesus for all the really cool stuff, like the transfiguration. He goes up on the mount and uh, gets to see Moses and Elijah, and Jesus all transcended in his glorified body. It's an amazing scene that I feel like probably would have given me some sort of heart attack. Um, because it was wild. Um, but Peter always got to be <clears throat> around for the cool stuff. Jesus kind of took him alongside him and, and taught him a little bit more and, and spent a little bit more time with him. He was the one that was the captain of all these people. He had leadership qualities. He was the one that would eventually go on an axe and, and, and start this thing. He's the one that, that when Jesus asked, who do people say you are, Peter comes out and says, you are the Christ. And Jesus looks at him and says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but the Spirit of God. He was the first one to do all these things. Peter was the, 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 the head of these guys. He was also one of the dumbest disciples and did dumb things like cut people's ears off when he wasn't supposed to. But you've got to admire his spirit, right? He's very gung-ho for Jesus. And so he pulls Peter aside and he says, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail then we know that his faith did falter. We see that his faith does crumble for a second in the next few verses. And we'll get into those in a second. But I want you to get what Jesus is saying. He didn't say, Peter, I've prayed for you that you would, you would pass this test. He didn't say, Peter, I've prayed for you so that, that you won't struggle at all. He didn't say, Peter, I've, I've prayed for you so that you will never mess up and you'll never sin. He says, I pray that you would not fail. Which means utterly fail. Jesus prayed that Peter would come through this trial, go through it completely, 
go through the hardship, go through failing, and then come out on the other side still strong enough in his faith to press on, which is what the last little bit says. It says at the very end of that verse, and when you have turned again, look at the confidence that Jesus says this. Uh, You're going to screw up here in a second. But when you come back, let's not worry about that. When you come back, when you've returned, I've got a mission for you. I've got something I need you to do. You remember those 12 that I just told you Satan had demanded to, 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 to sift? You're going to have to be the one that brings them all back. It says, I've, I, when you return, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brothers. You can't let this failure hold you down. You can't let this situation hold you down because you have to be the one to, to turn around and pull everybody back up and get them focused and back on mission. You're the one I need to... Make sure they don't wallow in this shame and this guilt. I need you to come back and I need you to use what happens to you to strengthen your brother so that you can continue to do the mission that I've given all of you. That's what Jesus is telling him here. And then Jesus, or the, and then Peter goes on all, all cocky and arrogant and he said, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go with you and, and, and die. Let's do this thing. Hang me on the cross next to, next to you. Let's do it. And, and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you just don't understand. Before this day ends, you'll have denied me <coughs> three times. And Peter didn't believe it. <coughs> Sorry, I'm not sick. I'm just trying to get through the rest of this allergy gunk that I got. Um, <coughs> Peter didn't believe it. And so they go on. Jesus prays in the garden. He gets arrested and betrayed by Judas. And then as they're going to where Jesus is going to be tried, three people come up to him and ask him, aren't you the one that was with Jesus? And Peter verbally denies him three times. You see, we, we forget about the other 12 that never even came with him, that ran off, um, that, that weren't a part of it all, that, that never went with him. Peter at least went, but then he verbally denies Jesus three times and then walks away. And it says, after the third time, the rooster crows and and and. Peter realizes what's happened. And it says in verse 62, it says, and he went out and wept bitterly because he realized that he had failed. He realized that he'd messed up. He'd realized that he'd done everything that Jesus said he was going to do. Then, you know, Jesus is crucified. He gets put in the tomb. Um, he raises, which... Hallelujah, that's, that's our confidence and our faith. And then he, he shows himself to the disciples a few times. He shows himself, Peter has seen him, they've spent time together, um, they've celebrated that, that he was alive. But then Peter does something. If you'll turn with me if you, if you want to, it's just two other verses. They're in John chapter 21. They go through all this. Jesus, or Peter has seen his risen Savior. Peter has seen the, the, the one who he loved and he betrayed. And, and you don't, it, the Bible doesn't record them like talking about it. So I, I, I like to think that there's this weird like elephant in the room between them. You know, like when, when you've done something and the other person knows you've done it and you know you've done it, but you don't want to talk about it because it makes it really uncomfortable and you just pretend like, oh, we're good. I'm never talking to you again, but we're good. It's kind of the, the, the vibe I get with Peter and Jesus because of what happens in, in 21 we see that after he's been resurrected, he's, been, he's shown himself many times. 
that Peter decides, if you look at verse 20, or chapter 21, verse 3, it says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. If you know about Peter's story, you, you know that he was a fisherman. That was his trade. That's how he made a living. And so Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. And Peter kind of has a, as a little a bit of a crisis here. He's got to decide whether he's going to continue to carry on the mission that Jesus has given him or if he's going to give up because of past failure and shame. And so what does he do? He decides, boys, I'm going fishing. I'm going back. I'm going back to the life that I had. I, I, just, I just feel like this is what we need to do. I'm, I'm going fishing. And it says that the others went with him. It says they, they said to him, we will go with you. And so Peter doesn't do what Jesus has asked him to do. He doesn't strengthen his brethren. In fact, he pulls them further away. Takes them fishing. And it's so cool how Jesus works because they go and they fish all night. They catch nothing. And then they see a man on the shore who tells them to cast on the other side in the deeper part. And they pull up all these fish. And Peter immediately realized this is Jesus because that's exactly what happened when Jesus called Peter to be a disciple. He used something that Peter would know. He used something that was familiar to Peter to pull him back. And they go and they have breakfast, which breakfast with Jesus sounds amazing. Um, and then after they have breakfast, Jesus once again pulls Peter aside. He once again pulls Peter aside. And starting in verse 15, it says this. It says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the other the, the, the ten at the time because Judas had already left? Do you love me more than these other disciples? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, he asked Peter three times because before Peter could ever get to the place that he, he needed to be to serve God, Jesus and him had to have a powwow. And Peter had to confront the guilt and shame that was within him. He had to confront it. He had to look at it face to face and realize that Jesus was saying it was okay. He, he couldn't hide from it. He couldn't bury it. He couldn't pretend it didn't happen. Jesus, immediately, the first thing he does to Peter is he reminds him of that guilt and shame. Reminds him of that thing he's been hiding, the thing that's keeping him down. He had to face it. There was no other way. He had to deal with what had happened to him in his heart. He had to. And then at the end of those three times, he, 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 he brings it up, but then he reminds Peter, you failed, but I have a job for you. You failed, but I have a job for you. You've failed, but I have a job for you. So what Jesus does, he makes him confront his sin, but then reminds him that he's not done yet. He makes him remember what is holding him back, and then he reminds him, you are not done, Simon, son of John. I have a mission for you. I have a mission for you. You failed, but I love you and I have a job. I know you failed, but I have a job for you. 
And it wasn't until Peter heard those words, you have failed, but you were not broken. You have failed, but you are not forever tainted. I still see worth in you. You still have grain inside of you. He may have sifted you, but your faith did not utterly fail. You faltered for a moment, and there's a big difference. It wasn't until Peter faced himself and realized that Jesus was not done with him that he was able to go and do the things that we see in the book of Acts. Jesus says, Peter, you failed, but I love you. Go do what I've told you to do. Three times. You know, church, Jesus is telling us the same thing. Christ wants you to know that same message. There are people in this room that have screwed up royally. I'm one of them. Trust me, I'm one of them. We've done things that we do not want anybody in the world to know. We've got secrets that we want to take to our grave. Things that we feel deep shame and deep guilt over. And what happens is that, is, is, is when people ask you to do something, I hear it all the time. Oh, I can't do that. What if they find out what I've done? What if somehow through me serving, me telling my testimony that I have to reveal things about myself, They'll never, they'll never let me do the mission that God called me to. They'll never do it. The, the people won't hear it. Being a pastor is the number two highest suicide rate job in the country. You know why? Because they don't talk about their lives. I had the same conversation with myself. Years ago, three or four years ago, when Bill Harris looked at me and said, Hey, man, you ever considered being a youth pastor? And then, because Bill's funny like this, um, I I had to spend a whole week with him during Jerusalem Project, and so it was like a week-long interview. Um, I broke all of his tools. Um, But I kept telling myself, Tyler, what if they found out that you weren't a virgin before you were married? And what if they found out it wasn't just one person, but it was 15? If I can get raw and real with you guys for a second. What if they find out that, that you're, not, you're not really that emotionally stable? You deal with anxiety. You almost killed yourself seven years ago. What if they find that out? What if they found out that at one point in time in your life after you were saved, you denied Christ and completely walked away from the faith and said things along the lines of Jesus is just a crutch for weak people that can't face the life in front of them by themselves? What if they find that out? What if they find out at one point when you were in middle school, you, you had about a year and a half where you struggled a little bit with same-sex attraction? What if they find that out? They'll run you out of the church. And you know what Jesus looked at me and said, I love you. And you have failed, but you are not done yet. You may have screwed up, but you are not done yet. There are lives at stake here. And he told me, you know what? When I saved you, I saw your future and I saw your past and I saw your present. And I said, you were worth dying for even though I knew you would be a complete and total screw up. He said, I knew your sin before you committed it and I still said you are worth dying for. Your sin did not shock me. It did not surprise me that that's what you went through. 
It's not surprising that that's what you struggled with. What's surprising is that you won't realize how much I love you and how none of that matters. All you have to do is pick yourself back up off the mat and go and do what I've told you to do because my love covers that. My grace covers that. And so I did. And I struggle with it daily. I struggle with the weight of that. But you know what? I now have a platform to be able to talk to people that struggle with the same thing. Because I've faced the failures in my life and I'm now doing everything I can to strengthen my brothers. Because there are other people in this room that have struggled with the things that I've just talked about. There's other people in this room that struggle with harsh things, hard things in their lives. If you look at statistics, it's just, it's just numbers. That, that, that you, there's people in this room that struggle with stuff. And the ones that have struggled, the ones that have suffered, have an amazing opportunity to come out of that and then be able to help a person who's in that same boat saying, I know you feel lost. I know you feel helpless. I know you feel like you can't get out of this, but I'm here to tell you that there's light at the end of the tunnel because I've been there. And these are the steps that I took to get out of it. You can be a carrier of freedom if you'll do two things, if you will face your fears, if you will face your guilt, if you will face your shame, you will confess it to Christ. If you will have a conversation with Jesus, what he'll do, and I know this for a fact because he's done it to me almost every day from the time that I've gotten saved, is he'll remind you, I love you and you have a mission. So I don't know what is in this room. I don't know what pains. I don't know what struggles. I don't know what sin issues. But I do know this. The same message that Jesus gave Peter and the same message that he gave me is the one that he's given you. As Franklin comes back up in the band. He wants to use you, church. Desperately wants to use you in your story. And I've got news for you. When you got saved, when you you decided that Jesus was going to be your Lord and Savior, he purchased every right to every story that's ever happened to you. And what that means is you do not have the right to tell Jesus no when he tells you to say something. Because you're bought, you're purchased. And it doesn't matter what piece of your testimony, if he tells you that it's time to tell it, you tell it. You tell it. Because you never know how impactful that testimony will be. But first things first, you've got to get things right. First things first, you've got to you've got to confess it you've got to face that demon inside you you've got to face that hardship you've got to look in the eye and say Jesus does not hold this against me anymore he's forgiven me he loves me and if you will do that you will walk out of this room free you'll walk out of this room with freedom from sin and guilt you'll walk out of this room brave to be able to go and conquer the world, to be able to show people the love that Christ has given you. You'll be able to find the mission that he has for you. So this morning as we we sing this last song, it's always been one of my favorites, is come as you are. You don't have to come with your shell. You don't have to come with all this bells and whistles. whistles. You don't have to come and, and say the right words. Just come to the altar and weep. Come to the altar and be broken over what's happened in your life and then be thankful that Jesus Christ loves you anyways. 
So that's my challenge. As the, the band plays, I'll be down here. Just come to the altar and confess. Face those sins. Come talk to me. Trust me, there's very little in my life that, 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 I, that, that I've, I can't relate to. Me and, me and Satan, we, we had a war, and, and, and he won most of the time, but Jesus has rescued me. He wants to rescue you too. So we'll pray. assuring me time and time again that I'm not done yet. Thank you for giving me the freedom that I so desperately longed for for so long. For rescuing me out of the deepest pits. And just telling me to come home. Just telling me to come home and be in your presence, God. And I'm so thankful for that. I know that there's people in this room that are hurting the same way I did. I know that there's people in here struggling. I know that there's people in here that are dealing with guilt and shame and sin. And they are a prayer away from freedom, God. So I pray that you would just, just beat the snot out of everybody in here until they find the boldness and the courage to confess. To come lay it down at this altar. Lay it down in the seat walk out of here free, to start this new year off free, to start this new decade off free, so that when they look back 10 years from now, they can say God was not finished with me.